I'm one of the few people in the state of California trained in like in II, which is instrumental insemination. And that is basically a queen bees. And that is a skill taught to me by my grandfather, who he learned from Susan Covey. Who's um, Susan Covey? One of the pioneers in that field of bee research. All right. What is up? <laughs> welcome back. And welcome to the podcast. This is Pipe Dream Etiquette. Uh, today I'm here with Joshua Weiner. Good afternoon, um, everyone. Uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, depending on where you are. Yeah. All right. Um, we're going to get right into it. So Josh is one of my good friends. Uh, we both run together. We've both been going to college for a while now. Um, so, you know, yeah. big boy stuff. Um, so Josh. Yes. Who are you? Um, that is a very deep question, kind of unexpected, especially this early on in the interview. Um, <laughs> like, trying to like bare my soul, I guess. Let's who are see. you, Josh? Um, who am That's I? That's what the people uh, want to know. The people, the people they want to know, the people must know. No, no, tell us a little bit about yourself. Though. Okay, so I am a second year at VC. I, uh, Ventura College. Ventura College, thank you for the, uh, for the, uh, what she believes. They just All of my English is, okay, I'm you're sorry. Good. You're okay. good, you're good. I'm a second year at VC. I, I'm a history major. Mm-hmm. I um, want to transfer to either Santa Barbara or to Davis. So um, UC Santa Barbara or UC Davis? Yes, okay. at the end of the year. Um, as a history major. And then from there, work at the Harry B. Laidlaw um, Honey Bee Lab. Okay. Um, where where is I that? Could, that is at University of Davis. Okay. Okay. Yeah, under Dr. Nino. Oh, wow. Um, so hopefully be able to get a job there and work um, studying bees. We're getting into it. Okay. Well, that's a that's a good segue into uh, what we're here to talk about, which is your business. Yes. So you're currently 20, right? 20 years old. And you started your business at 19. 18. 18? Okay. Yeah. So I just want to know, how did you decide to start your business? And then we'll talk about other stuff. So how did you decide to start your business? And what was it, what was it like starting? That's actually like, a really funny, funny question because it was really spontaneous, actually. I... I kind of at some point knew I always wanted to do the bee thing. Um, I just never really knew how or where. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Because well, my dad does it, my grandpa does it. It's just kind of they've always been sideliners. I've been the first one to take it to the next level as far as like the bees go. So now I'm the first in my family to do it commercially, like full time. Like com- not not so much full time, but commercially, where we're rearing queens for um, on a large scale, moving bees around oh, the queen state. Queen bees. Yes, like yeah, yeah. like rearing queen bees on a large scale to. Um, Increased colony numbers. I mean, um, moving bees all over the state and just for pollination, um, doing large scale contracts, things like that. Um, but it was actually a really odd thing because if it weren't for COVID, I probably wouldn't have started. I mean, huh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. I was, after graduating high school that summer, I was enrolled at Moore Park College mm-hmm. doing a couple classes there and it was all async and I really just, I hated it. It was just awful. Um, and so I ended up dropping out, like... Hey, so we got another college dropout right here. <laughs> yeah, I ended up dropping out of Moore Park um, That's gonna be, be like, mid-November. Mm-hmm. And then, like, November 19th, I believe, I was like, you know November what? 19th, okay. November 19th. The day, That's the day. The day seared in my memory. It was like, you know what? I'm going to try this whole bee thing. And I kind of ran up on my dad, and he's like, you know what? If, um, if you're serious about it, and you commit, and you give it your everything, then we have no problem with it. We'll support you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, cool, let's go. And so I was, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, 
like zero. Wait, wait, wait. But okay, didn't your your dad and your grandpa didn't they have like some experience to share with you? Yes. Like... Oh yeah. No, my grandpa. I've been mentoring under him for years. Okay. Um. So I well like. I know how to take care of bees. I don't know how to run a business. I didn't at that okay. point know how to yeah, run a business. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and even then, taking bees, taking care of bees on a large scale is a lot different than managing two or three colonies in your backyard. That's a very good point. Yeah. It's it's a lot more time. It's a lot more resources, mm -hmm. and it's a lot more kind of a lot more reward. knowing people. Because in okay. this industry, you have to know people mm -hmm. because you need. I mean, you need to know farmers. You need to know. Um, brokers, you need to know ranchers. I mean, you need to know everybody. Mm -hmm. um, so the lucky thing is, like, you need connections around here because it's so hard to find a spot to like put 30, 40 colonies. Um, yeah, I'd imagine. So luckily, my grandpa's been doing this a long time, so I've got a lot of connections through him, just through like the county and the water district and other ranchers and farmers who he's built rapport with over the years. Um, so I was able to find kind of a, a small spot. Well, my first bee yard I shared with him. Mm -hmm. okay. And I had... And where was that? That was uh, along the river bottom in Sadaquay. Oh. And so that was just my first little thing. And I had, um, I remember moving in my first colony, um, first loaded colony. it in the back of my truck. Mm -hmm. And I could show you right now where it was. That one, I think, is dead now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, It's okay, though. It was, it was, my records are kind of... It was a start. It was yeah, a start. I fell behind on records. Either that or it's kind of hard to keep track of all the colonies. I mean, we do our best, but it's especially when you're making divisions. And What's a division? A division is when you take a hive and split it and give each one half keeps the queen and the other half receives a new queen that will raise. Okay. And that way you can increase colony numbers that way. Um, okay. And so, um, I mean, when you're doing that, it's kind of hard to keep track because you have to keep track of the colony that you just split and then the new colony that was just formed too do you have like an estimate of how many you manage right now as of right now it is give or take 130 130 um, yes okay. because we're i mean we're losing some through winter through mites and whatnot mm -hmm. and then we're gaining some through swarms that come into old equipment and divisions and whatnot so so what is it like a day in the life of being, you're a beekeeper, right? Yes. Like I can call you a beekeeper. Yes. What is it, a day in the life uh, you run to being a beekeeper and a college student? What is that like? It is, I mean, I'm not trying to be like a little like baby about it, but it gets kind of hard sometimes, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Well, I mean, okay, like for a lot of the people listening, I mean, you you essentially some weeks you're working full time, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're working full time with the full load and running. It sucks sometimes. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's understandable. The main thing is just managing your time, and if you manage your time right, it's not all that bad. Especially because the bees are pretty self sufficient. As long as you kind of take care of them and do a good job, they'll be fine. If you need to leave them for a week or two, mm -hmm. um, the main thing is just making sure they're fed, making sure they're treated for mites, and just making sure that they have enough of whatever they need, whether that's space, food. Okay, so those are some of the responsibilities, but can mm -hmm. you take me through like, an, a, and, like a working day? Okay, that's- Like between getting up and like going to bed where you're interacting with the bees and doing things with that them? That is a very seasonally based thing. Okay, um, well, like in season then, what would it be like? So in, if we're moving the bees around, that usually happens at sunset. We'll go and load all the bees into a trailer, drive them out to the orchard anywhere from the farthest we've gone was, um, where is it? Let's see, it's almonds, right? Almonds, but there's there's different. That's a really wide area. It's it's from it's from as far south as Bakersfield 
all the way up to northern San Joaquin Valley. So it could be anywhere from a two-hour drive to a six-hour drive. So it really depends on who you know and where you get your where you get your contract for. Um, but the farthest we've gone was Selma, which was it's about forty-five minutes south of Fresno, I believe. It's it's pretty Ooh. far up there. It's like a four-hour drive. Um, and so we'll get out there at about 10, 11 o'clock, unload PM. bees, PM, yeah, unload bees. And if everything goes smoothly, we'll be all unloaded by midnight and we'll be home by four in the morning. So you're doing that on a school night, right? Um, on a school night. It depends. That's only like once or twice a year. Okay, but that's just for that, that doesn't happen on like a... That's not a daily thing, no. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, as far as like this time of the year, winter, we're now just kind of settling down and all the bees have pretty much stopped swarming mm -hmm. and um, now they're just kind of building up enough resources to go into winter and um, so around this time of the year we hit them with some mite treatment to knock down the mite numbers mm -hmm. and the mites when I whenever I refer to the mites I'm referring to the varroa mite the, yeah. the, what mite? the varroa mite the it's varroa mite basically a mite that came from Asia in I want to say the 80s and was one of the primary culprits for CCD which is colony collapse disorder which was a kind of a perfect storm of neonicotinoid pesticides, mites, um, uh, destruction of natural habitat, and basically led to the demise of thousands of colonies of honeybees. Um, it was in, like specifically Southern California in the or? United States as a whole. I mean, so many beekeepers were just going out of business that the government had to take action because it was getting really bad. Um, and back then, too, there was another disease called um, foul brood, which I've only ever come across once in my life, and it's scary. And was it one of your colonies? It was mine, yeah. Ooh. Basically, well, So can you explain a little bit? Foul brood was basically a really rampant disease back in the day, but through um, through the use of teramycin, which is an antibiotic, it's pretty much been um, – it's it's under control now, where it's, it's really rare now. Um, I got really unlucky, and I got some in a colony – and the reason they call it foul brood is you can smell it from a long ways away. Uh, it's just like the whole colony starts to rot. Okay. All the brood just, it smells so bad. Like you can smell it from a ways away. And so in that unfortunate case, to prevent it, because that colony was already lost. It was gone. Oh, okay. Um, you like, saw it. You're, you like smelled there's, it. There's yeah. live bees, but the brood's gone. And there, there's no hope for that colony. I mean, oh at that point, it's just damage control. So what you have to do is like, the, the spores of the fungus will live for like a decade or more. So you have to take the entire colony and you have to wrap it in a trash bag, cover it in bleach and burn the whole thing. Seriously? Everything. Seriously, where did you do that? My backyard. <laughs> because Your parents must not have been that happy about that. No, back. no, well, I mean, my mom understood because like, I mean, that you cannot play with well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you have to take it super seriously because yeah. that stuff is super contagious. And if you don't take it seriously, you will lose the entire yard. It will spread. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Because then when other bees have that colony's all full of honey and the other bees smell that honey and come in to go rob, and then they get all the spores all over themselves and bring it back to their colonies. Mm -hmm. So you have to take that stuff super seriously. So, but you contaminated it with just the one infected colony? It was just the one. And I, I, I went back and was monitoring, monitoring the yard and treated the other hives with teramycin in case they were exposed. Mm -hmm. And um, we were able to stop the outbreak and it was hey, controlled. So That's pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, luckily I was... I was had a lot of connections in the industry with my grandpa and so there's a another local beekeeper who was able to hook me up with some teramycin okay that's um, because that stuff's not easy to get you need a veterinary um uh what's it called a uh, a referral not so much a referral a um, prescription okay so to get your hands on that stuff before you used to be able to buy as much as you wanted but then it started mutating the the the, the, the spores the, the fungus sp okay started to mutate and evolve 
And <laughs> so then they had to create new forms of teramycin to combat the new strain. Yeah. And so I guess there's like teramycin like 80 now. I don't know what it is, the number, but. Oh, God. And so to kind of control its, its adaptation to the new forms of the medication, they had to kind of control who was able to get their hands on it. So it's kind of hard to get now, but. But luckily, it's uh, I was able to uh, control that. So that was one of the more one of the more interesting situations I've faced. Um, yeah, I bet. Another um, scary one was when uh, we've got bees um, on county land in Oxnard, and mm-hmm. um, and the, it was right by the river. And so the gosh dang couple homeless people started a fire accidentally in the river, and. I don't know how it started. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. They started there. There was a, a fire. fire. Okay. A fire happened, and mm-hmm. I was scared straight because I was in Ventura and I could see the smoke. I'm like, uh oh. And you had to remove a bee. We didn't have to move. move. We didn't have to move. Oh. The wind was going the other way, so we were good. But the smoke was probably away. I got pictures. It's within like 150 meters of my colonies, and I was like, uh oh. Luckily, they they do a good job managing their land, and so they keep the grass short, and there's not a ton of brush for it to burn. But still, I mean, the wind, the wind goes the wrong way, and those things are tinder boxes. So I was like, uh-oh. But luckily, the fire department was on, on top of it, and they got it put out. So Yeah, that's sweet. All right, so, I mean, you told us one aspect of uh, your business, which is you manage bees. Yes. Um, I know you sell honey. I you do. You sell honey. Pollen, um, propolis. Pollen, um, propolis, and sometimes even candles. Yes, um, yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, so the honey... Um, it's really difficult in Southern California because we don't get as much rain as other parts of the country. Unfortunately. So um, if you make about, if, if you're making like a hundred pounds of honey per colony, you're doing really well. Average okay, we have hundred like, pounds of honey per colony. Is that over the course of a year or a season? Over the course of a season, yeah. Okay. And we're only harvesting um, summer and fall. Um, well, spring and summer, spring and summer. Spring um, and summer. Sometimes, sometimes early fall, but very rarely. Okay, so about about two times a year. Yeah, about twice okay. a year, and um. So what can you do? And is that from one colony? From yeah, about anywhere. You're realistically, you're gonna get probably thirty-five to fifty pounds. But if oh, okay. you're doing a hundred, you're doing really well for yourself. Okay. Um, like up in north, in like northern California, Oregon, Washington, Canada, they get a ton more rainfall. They have eighteen-hour days, and they have a lot more um. Uh, a lot more flowers and stuff available. Yeah, okay. And so up there, I mean, you'll see colony stacked seven, eight, nine supers high. If you get one super around here, you're lucky. A super? Is that a what it's called? Is, you have stacked is, colonies? is a box. We call a super a box, yeah. And okay. So you have shallow supers for honey and then deeps for brood. Um, oh, okay, all right. You're going to have to slow down a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, so sorry. shallows for honey yeah. and broods for a colony? The brood or the baby bees. Okay, and um, so and so that that'd be for like a, a younger colony that's trying to grow, right? Yeah, so typically they um, give a deep a deep a deep super, um, which is twice the size of a shallow super, um, vertically, not so much. They're the same size horizontally and and uh, width width and length. They're the just different heights. Mm-hmm. Um, so a deep is primarily for brood, and you'll see um, you'll see typically a queen um, laying couple thousand eggs a day two to three thousand eggs a day and she'll um she'll wait, wait, wait. for what part of like the entire year uh during when they're like during their growth stage like when they're in main maintenance like when they're just maintaining their colony okay numbers. okay um and so you'll see like that's typically about one deep super and then the reason we have deeps and shallows is because a full box a full honey super shallow is about 45 pounds and deep is 90 pounds 
So pretty much you wouldn't be able to live. You would break your back. You would not be able to walk in like three or four days. Like you would, you would have to go see a chiropractor and like probably get like a metal rod put in your back. (laughs) Okay. Um, (laughs) So you were talking about uh, supers uh, with the queen bees, I think, right? Yeah. And so, um, and that's another issue is constantly checking your queens because to have a healthy hive, you obviously need a healthy queen. Mm-hmm. What a lot of beekeepers do is they'll cull their queens after the end of the year. So they'll basically to, they'll order new queens from a breeder in say Hawaii okay. or another area that's tropical and mm-hmm. has bees active year round. Um, and they'll go and raise queens. Like there's companies that specialize in raising queen bees. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll go and order a bunch of fresh new queens kill all their queens and then replace them that way they constantly have young new queens in their colonies that are constantly like at the peak of production or at the peak of productivity oh so are they are you saying like the the younger queen bees produce like more eggs or something they're more eggs and higher quality eggs okay because um, you'll get patterns too because um the queens they'll lay eggs in concentric rings and kind in of concentric rings concentric okay. circles and so you can kind of read that that's the pattern we call it the pattern and so if there's a you, there's clear rings, you know it's a healthy queen, just a healthy, strong queen. Um, but if you see like a broken up pattern and there's not really any pattern at all, it means that there's A, likely mites. Because um, what the bees will do around here is any bee, any colony, that's any larva that's infected, they'll pull it out and they'll kill it. And so it leaves a hole in the brood pattern. So you can see that. Mm-hmm. And then a weak queen just has a hard time keeping up with the demands of the colony. And so you'll see kind of, breaking up of the pattern so usually to either and there's two ways of going about that i either a the beekeeper does it they kill the queen and replace her mm-hmm. or the bees will do it they will the um, bees supersede will yeah they'll supersede so um, how do they get a new queen then they will start raising a new queen a few weeks in advance and um they'll have a, a batch of them ready and then they'll just kill her off and have the new queen ready Whoa. usually as soon as they cap the queen cells they get rid of her Whoa. So and they um, the same thing with swarming is as soon as that cell gets capped, the old queen will take off. So there's um, swarming is kind of another issue. That's a re- another reason. Jesus. Okay, so what? Is, incoherent. <laughs> yeah, okay, just what is swarming? Swarming is when a honeybee colony. It happens in the na- in, in the wild. So um, when a honeybee colony grows, outgrows its space, mm-hmm. um, it's the way they reproduce. Um, so it's the way they increase their colony numbers. Wasps do it a little bit differently. So I'll go over that in a bit. But honeybees, the way they do it is they'll raise anywhere from one to two to 12 queens. The most I've ever seen is like 18. Okay. Um, on average, probably five or six. Um, and what they'll do is they'll go and raise all these queen bees. And then the first one to hatch goes around and kills all the other cells. Wait, wait. So the first queen bee to hatch goes around and kills all the all other, other queen cells. bee cells. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she becomes the sole heir. Um, while the daughter queen, the one who just hatched, becomes the new queen of the colony that stayed, the mother queen will take half the bees and she'll leave and they'll go and start a new colony. And that's called swarming? Swarming. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, hey, now we know. Now exactly. I mean, like when we were in like elementary school and you had like swarming bees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so oh. wasps do it a little bit differently where um, their queens, um, their, their queens will cooperate. So honeybee queens don't ever cooperate. The only time you ever see them cooperate is mother-daughter. And I've only ever seen that once, a mother-daughter queen in the same colony. Um, that's incredibly rare. Um, anytime you ever see, I mean, two queens, it's always a mother and a daughter because the sisters will always fight to the death. 
Um, oh God, geez. And so, uh, or they'll swarm. Like Africanized bees, they'll swarm more than once in a year. Mm-hmm. They'll kick out like three or four swarms. So as the queens hatch, they'll immediately leave. Instead of sticking around and, you know, they'll just, boom, gone. Okay, as soon so as they hatch, are, they take off. How are the wasps different? The wasps, what they'll do is come fall, all the workers die off. And uh, towards the end of the season, they'll mass produce queens right before the worker die off. All the workers die off, all the queens hatch out, and they hibernate. And then come spring, all, each of those queens leaves and starts a new colony. Um, and hmm. so okay. honeybees can't do that. The queen needs the bees, and the bees need the queen. Mm-hmm. Um, so wait, do you manage wasps, or do you just no, remove no. them? I, I remove them. People don't want them in their houses. Yeah, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't assume so. But so before we get too sidetracked, um, what is it you were saying? One um, super produces about thirty-five to fifty pounds of honey. Yes. Right. Um, what do you do with that honey? Because this is just raw honey, right? Yep. Yep. So raw. how do you package it? What do you do? What do you sell for? Them? Things like that. So in order to, well, typically speaking, you have to process the honey right after you extract, or right after you pull it off the hives, because as soon as you pull it off the bees, it starts cooling down. Because the bees maintain their colony temperature at about, I think it's 98 degrees. So wait, 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 what? The bees keep their colonies really warm. Huh, I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah, they maintain the colony temperature at, I think, 98 degrees in the core. And um, and they keep the honey up at the top of the colony because heat rises, and okay. so it keeps the honey liquid. Okay. And so once that honey gets pulled off, it immediately starts cooling down, and eventually it'll crystallize. And um. Okay. Once it's crystallized, it's a really it's difficult to work with. So what we'll do is we'll pull it right off, extract it, um, and we'll strain it through a through a mesh mesh strainer, mm-hmm. and then immediately bottle it. And then after a few weeks, it'll crystallize. Um, and at that point, it's um, it doesn't matter because it's already in bottles. So what you can do is just put it in some warm water, and it'll melt. Mm-hmm. Um, and a and a good thing to do is for like all you people out there looking to buy honey. Um, buy it local because international honey there's no there's very few regulations as far as like government oversight as far as the quality of honey and what's in the honey um and anyone this is like pro tip from a beekeeper anyone who advertises their honey as organic is full of crap because there's no such thing as organic honey well Um, everything's organic honey right no there's no such thing as organic honey that's it's that's a misconception because so elaborate, elaborate. Yeah, because you can't tell the bees that tree is organic, so only go to that tree. They don't differentiate between organic and not organic. So they be the bees, the bees. And the only exception would be if the bees are in a glass dome, or like in the middle of the desert yeah. with nowhere else to go. Okay. But obviously around here, that's not a reality. Yeah. So there is no way on earth, and the, and the bees don't care. I mean, they don't see any different. I mean, food's food. They're just they go it's after food. all of it. Yeah. So there's anyone advertising honey around here is if you can advertise it as raw, you can advertise it as natural, but you can't advertise it as organic because obviously the bees go wherever they want. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. Um, I was hearing something and just like uh, your little spiel about uh, buying organic. I was hearing something that um, buying or and eating organic, buying and eating local honey can help reduce like allergies it does. and things like that because the bees you're pretty much like microdosing on like triggering yourself mm-hmm. right and so you build up like a mini uh, immunity, immunity yeah. to it right yeah because the bees go out and collect pollen from all the local plants and it's the same pollen that's in the air that causes the allergies mm-hmm. so yeah that's definitely that happens yeah yeah I, I just thought that was interesting yeah 
But okay, so can you take me through like what maybe harvesting one colony is to like, you just package it? So I mean, you're you're just uh, so yeah. So basically, honey, right? as far as the honey goes, so what putting you putting in a in a jar in a box in a bottle, yeah. Yeah. So what we'll do is um, basically when you pull it off the colony, you take the lid off the colony and we put it on what's called a fume board. And the fume board is basically just a concave lid with some felt on the inside. Okay. And you just cover cover coat the felt in what we use is called a product called Honey Bandit. And what that is is just an almond oil based product that the bees really dislike. And so you put the fume board on, the sun hits the top of the fume board and warms up the felt, and it causes that oil to kind of become aerated, an aerosol. And so the bees, it'll kind of really light mist of that oil, and the bees hate that stuff. And so it chases them out of the honey boxes into the lower brood boxes. Okay. And then at that point, we'll leave those on for five, 10 minutes, and we'll kind of cycle through it. We'll put the fume boards on and then work on the next bed, the next set of colonies while the fume boards are sitting on the last batch okay. pull the fume board off pull the honey supers off get the lid back on boom 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 so you're just pretty much putting this on the bees don't like it the bees leave or they go they, they go down into the lower box okay they go down to the lower box because the honey's pull, on the top boxes yeah right so you just pull that up shave the honey off or whatever we just pop the whole it. super take the whole super oh you take the whole thing the whole thing we take oh, the whole okay. thing so you load it in the, the back of the truck and if they need to we'll usually put an empty one on top that way the bees have space to go back up. Okay, okay. And then as soon as we get the honey supers, we usually keep them covered because at that point, the bees get all excited because there's all this fresh food around and so they'll start robbing. And so we usually keep the boxes covered. Okay. That way they don't start a frenzy. Um, and then we'll go and take them back to the extractor, which is basically just a, we have a four frame extractor because we have a small operation. It's basically just a metal cylinder with baskets inside that rotate independently, that kind of swing independently of each other. Mm -hmm. And um, you just take an electric hot knife to cut the cappings off because when honey reaches, or when, so the bees go out and collect nectar and they bring it back and then they'll go and evaporate the extra water off until it reaches 18% water content. Specifically 18%. 18%. Okay. And so okay. the bees can tell once it reaches that point of mm -hmm. becoming honey, then they'll go and cap it and save it for winter. And so we just go and take a hot knife, cut the cappings off, and um, put the frames into a bat into each of the baskets, mm -hmm. and then turn on the machine, and it just spins them really fast. And the centrifugal force pulls the honey out of the cells mm -hmm. into the into the cylinder, and then it drains all at the bottom to a spigot where we'll run it through um, a, a filter, and then it just gets out the extra little bits of wax and maybe like bee parts that got through. Mm -hmm. um, and besides that, I mean that's all the filtering we do because I know a lot of companies like. If you buy honey from the store, it's always liquid. And the reason that is, yeah. is because they pasteurize it. And so they go and just blast it, like boil it, basically. They boil the heck out of it. And it Wait, so they're boiling their honey? They they basically, they they like they boil it to kingdom come. And that way it doesn't <laughs> crystallize anymore. I feel like that defeats the purpose of eat, like all the good stuff. Exactly. What that does is it provides, it creates an, an appealing product on, on the shelf. Mm -hmm. But it kills all the good things, all the enzymes and mm -hmm. proteins and the... It, yeah, so basically it's always liquid. It, you don't have to worry about it crystallizing or any of that. Hmm. Um, okay, so the best honey, it's always going to crystallize. It, yes, exactly. Okay. So okay, that's a, that's a quick tip. And it's it's kind of like ice and water. You can only, it can always go back and forth. It, it's not it's not like okay, a yeah. chemical process. It, mm. it, you can just put the crystallized honey back in warm water, and it'll at lower temperatures it doesn't damage the honey. Mm -hmm. um, like right, it's like warm, not boiling water, and it'll melt the honey. Yeah. In like half an hour, and it'll preserve its integrity but it'll liquefy it well honey is uh what antibacterial right it's yeah so it's not like you need to worry about 
you know, germs for the most part, right? No, yeah. I mean, that stuff is, because it has such a high sugar content, it basically acts as a preservative in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, there's tiny found in the Egyptian tombs, I'm sure you all are aware. Yeah. 2,000 years old. So it's, Older than that. It, yeah. yeah. So as far as, like, if I don't sell all my honey one year, I'm fine. <laughs> I just, it's like, yeah. I, I have no pressure to sell all my products. It's not like apples or peaches where, oh, if I don't sell it, it's, they're going to rot, you know? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of nice. So it's not yeah, like it's a lot of... Convenient. Yeah, not, it's very convenient. It's not a lot of pressure to sell on the product. So, okay. okay, so you said you're getting about 35 to 50 pounds of honey per super, and mm-hmm. you've got about 130 supers. Quick Maths tells me that's like roughly 6,000 pounds of honey. That's kind of deceptive because not all my colonies are production hives. Okay, okay. So only about 30 of them are production hives. And so oh. I made this year 500 pounds of honey. A little bit more, a little bit more. 500 than pounds of honey, okay. And because um, a lot of those colonies are really little. And so right now they're probably like two or three, well, probably like 40 of them are two or three or four or five frames. Just small little colonies. So um, what's a big colony? How many frames? 20, is about like 20, 20 frames. frames. That's about, so that's a commercial how, frame. Wait, 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 how many frames fit in a super? 10. A nuke box has five frames, a super has 10 frames. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Sorry, I cheated. What's a, what's what's a new box? A new is box it smaller is than a, a smaller super? box. It's a smaller. So it's smaller than a super. It's half half of the super. So, so you've got is, wait, wait, you've got the new box, you've got the super, and then you've got the brood. Right. Oh well, so there's the deep supers and then the shallow supers. Okay. Yeah, and so the new <laughs> boxes are basically just for small colonies. They're not having to warm up all that extra space and expend a lot of extra energy that way. Okay. Um, it's just a smaller, and it's easier for them to defend from ants and wasps mm-hmm. um, and other vermin. <laughs> and then it's uh, also, like I was saying, easier to keep that space warm and keep maintaining that colony temperature at 98 mm-hmm. degrees. So you have 30 production colonies. What are the other 100? Are they all just growing or you're just um, maintaining them? They're basically it- just commercial-grade almond hives. And so commercial-grade, the, the standard is 8 frames minimum, 10 frames average. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... When a grower orders a contract, or usually it's done through a broker, mm-hmm. but um, the broker will say, hey, I've got a grower, he wants, he's got 30 acres of land, he wants 60 colonies. Um, at this time, this day, um, here's a map, drop them off here, 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 and here. And so- um, That's, That makes it a, a pretty convenient. <laughs> well, yeah, for the most part, you just, I mean, well, I mean, if you other have, than like you going out, like where where's the most optimal place to play season? But the broker but, takes a cut. Yeah, of course the broker. The broker takes, That's why they're a broker. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um, I kind of lost track. Where was I going with this? We were talking about um, nuke boxes and how not all of your colonies are. Oh yeah, are yeah, that's right. Thank colonies. you. Yeah. And so, um, the industry standard is ten frames. So, like when a farmer wants um, a hive, he usually wants it ten frames. That way. There's sufficient bees. Um, that way it prevents, um, well, you get some deceptive people who go in there and like, will have like a lot of small colonies. Like I'll tell you kind of a funny story. This last year we went up to Almonds and there's a guy from Montana. And um, <laughs> we took a look at some of his colonies and the dude got torn up. I don't know what he did wrong. I don't know whether it was the mites or whether they were starving or what, but holy cow, I mean, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of bad. So nowadays the brokers will go through with heat guns and they'll just look at your hats with a heat gun. So they don't have to, they don't actually have to open the boxes. Mm-hmm. That way they can just see how much the colony's occupied. Mm-hmm. But um, this guy, I don't know what he was doing, but he had his boxes like screwed together. 
he had like metal strips and had the boxes screwed together so he couldn't open them. I don't know if that was an attempt to keep the brokers. Exactly. I was, that's what I thought. I was like, I don't know if that was an attempt to keep the brokers from looking inside or what, but like even just looking through the entrance, you can see how many of the frames are occupied. A lot of those for like were two or three frame colonies. And that is like grossly under, under like, I mean, under industry standard. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh man, I really don't want to be in his shoes right now. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm sure he and the broker had a little talk. (laughs) A little talk. Not so not so fun. Yeah, no. Um, no. All right. Well, that's that's your business. I want to ask, where do you think? Where do you want to be in like five years? Oof, that's like, a tough question. Um, at this point, I let, let, let's isolate the variable of this like something falling through and you not like being in this business. Okay. Let, yeah. Let's assume like let's assume that this is for life. You yeah you you're like sold in. This is what you want to do. Okay. Which, well, I mean, hopefully it is what you want to do. No, yeah, of course. I mean, I have a passion for this. I love it. That's just, you know, it's great. So, but we'll see what, where school takes me. But yeah, as far as, I mean, as far as like teaching goes, a new teacher makes like $300 a day. Teacher? And, yeah. For like academia? Uh, like a high school teacher. Okay. Like a brand new high school teacher makes like 300 bucks a day. And I tell you, I mean... I would, and they just have to sit in the classroom and deal with kids, you know, like, don't get me wrong. There's, I mean, my dad's a teacher and I know he goes through a lot trying to, I mean, it's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, like grading and creating lesson plans and all that. But I tell you, compared to breaking your back in the hot sun all day, 300 bucks a day for sitting in an air conditioned classroom seems a heck of a lot more attractive. So we'll see where school takes me. (laughs) We'll see where school takes me. I definitely want to do the B thing for the rest of my life. Well, okay, but let's assume like uh, you're like okay. I'm sold in on the B business. One hundred. You maybe you go to Davis, you get your your stuff, you figure things out. My PhD, Dr. Weiner. Dr. Weiner, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, would you want to grow colonies? Would you want to like manage bees? Would you want to go into more maybe like the research of bees? Like, and okay, I don't know what's that's, the that's what's a very the... good question. So, I'm one of the few people in the state of California trained in like in ii which is instrumental insemination and that is basically of queen bees and that is a skill taught to me by my grandfather who he learned from susan kobe who's susan Um, kobe one of the pioneers in that field of bee research wow Um, okay that's a big flex right there that's a big flex you put that on a tinder right there i know how to yeah it's actually funny before i started my own business i applied for a job at oliver's beekeeping they're one of the big like one of the biggest beekeeping companies in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually got passed through all the way to the CEO. And uh, well, not, well, it was like the, it was like the company manager's like sister or something. She like runs a lot of the big operations, but uh-huh. like he, she's not like the top dog, but she's like pretty close to the top. Big shot. Yeah, yeah kind of. And uh, she was like, yeah, dude, she got, not dude, obviously, gosh dang. Um, she got my application and she called me and was like talking to me about that stuff. And she's like, yeah, you know, I might have a job for you up in Montana if you're ready to go. And I was like, I was like, I mean, I'm ready. And long story short, um, I just wasn't very persistent with it. And then they had a bunch of wildfires. And so they lost a bunch of colonies and a bunch of stuff just was going on. They forgot about me. And so I was like, oh, oh, well. But wow, I, yeah, that was kind of crazy. But anyway, I started my business because of that. <laughs> hey, you started your own business. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, but um, and that was one of the main parts of my resume was the whole II thing. Um, because I think That's a big in part. the state, there's only probably like five or six people who can actually do it. Really? Efficiently. 
I, I'm not proficient by any means, but I can, oh, okay. I can do it. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Not, I'm not, I'm not in any means like an expert, but, oh, yeah. but I can do it. But you can do it. And yeah. there's only five or six other people in the entire state of California that can do that. Yeah. That's a big flex right there. So, that's dope. So <laughs> that's one of the main reasons. Um, I actually got to finish a course, some coursework for the University of Davis um, Master Beekeeper program. Um, they told me I could skip the first level because basically the first level is Basically. an apprentice yeah. and you need to have managed one colony for a year. And I'm like, I got that checked <laughs> off. <laughs> done how about, how about 130 for two, two and a half years? Yeah, I, I think you made the requirement. So I just got to take the test and then I, I'm good to go. But that's, um, hope I got to actually talk to the lady soon because I forgot about that. Part. Transfer, transfer soon. Oh, it's that time of the year. I know. For all high school students. Yeah, me too, but... Um, are going to transfer anyways um so i mean we're wrapping up now how can people contact um to get honey if they're interested they can either reach me personally on my cell phone um are you willing to plug that um we you have you have an instagram right yes i have an instagram too okay the cell phone the cell phone i don't know about that because i don't know who's going to get a hold of this podcast i don't know i'm not trying to you know get like all kinds of spam calls um, the Instagram is, um, let's see, let's find that. I don't know it by the, because I don't know exactly what the, okay, it is. Um, no caps, no spaces, Brunel underscore Bs. Brunel Bs. Wait, okay. Spell B-E-R-N-E-L-L underscore B-E-E-S. All right, that's getting, that's on Instagram, right? Yep, on Instagram. That'll be top of the description. There you already go. know it. <laughs> One last question. Why is it Brunel Bees? Okay, so that's... Because um, your last name's Weinert, right? Yes, my last name's Weinert. Mm -hmm. Brunel is my middle name, my grandfather's middle name, and my great-grandfather's first name. Wow. So it's kind of a family name, okay. and it's just kind of a... Brunel Bees. It sounds... It's, it's, yeah, it's it catchy, good. and it's uh, also a, a kind of a homage to my family legacy. Um, as I, my grandpa, obviously, my great-grandpa wasn't a beekeeper. He was a painter, but... <laughs> besides the point besides the point yeah. i do a lot of painting painting bee boxes so kind of yeah. but um just kind of a, it was more so just a, a a quick nod towards my grandpa and all he's done to help me so that's that's sweet well thank you josh of course it was a pleasure Thanks i'm sorry the for the chaotic interview it was no it's great so much craziness going on kind of a reflection of my scatterbrain mentality <laughs> as long as it gets the job done yeah i i do my best i do my best all right, well, thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you made it to the end. We will be back in two weeks, not this Friday, next Friday. We're going ham and studying. Uh, appreciate you guys listening, and that's all for this week. Mm -hmm.